Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Row Crop Short Course in Starkville. Tom and I managed to catch Tom Barber and Daniel Stevenson on the way out of town this morning. They were over this week and spoke yesterday at the short course. We had the weed science section yesterday afternoon. So they stayed over last night and, and headed out this morning. We able were able to get them to sit down with us a few minutes. So thank you all for hanging around. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. So we don't really have a plan for what we're going to talk about with Tom and Daniel. And we knocked around a couple of ideas. I think we kind of settled in on ryegrass being December. It is the hot topic right now for weed control in Mississippi. And then, of course, a problem in Arkansas and Louisiana, too. So I think that's the direction we'll go. Tom, we've hammered Daniel a few times with a, a question on the podcast. I'm going to give Daniel a break and go your direction. Christmas is coming up. What was your favorite Christmas present as a kid? Man, you know what? When I was little, I wanted one of those great big jute boxes that you carried around on your shoulder, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and play some Michael Jackson or something like that. That was, Did that you was have the jacket stuff. to go with that and the gloves? Oh, I, well, Can you move I had the red. I had the red... The red pants. Do they still fit? For real? Uh, no. I, I wish. Maybe on one leg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the thing. You, you go around school with the big. Were those parachute pants? Is that what they were talking about? No, no, no. That's what MC that's Hammer was. Oh, that's right. That's, right. that's MC Hammer. Yeah. No, these were the red with the zippers on them. Nah, yeah, 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 yeah. And that you could have had a matching jacket. Yeah, I never did. I don't know why I never got the jacket. We need to get Barbara one of those boom boxes and the clock, and he can look like Flavor Flav for a little while. Tom, I don't know if the Michael Jackson pants keep with the Tom Barber image. <laughs> Probably not, <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> hang them on the wall or something. <laughs> I did not see that one coming, Tom. I didn't, I didn't know what he was going to say. That's going to be I did stellar not. images in my mind for the remainder of the day. I did not think about Tom in a pair of Michael Jackson pants. <laughs> hey, we're kids, man, you know. So were the zippers just zippers, or were they all little pockets, too? I think you would have to ask Dr. I don't, I was sitting here question. trying to think if they were – I think some of them just actually just zipped and zipped back. I don't so think that would be a faux it. pocket. Yeah. <laughs> But I like putting be put on the spot like that, man. That's uh, that's awesome, Daniel. What's your stance on Michael Jackson pants? <clears throat> Based off how I looked when I was his age and wearing those, I would not have looked good in Michael Jackson pants. So you weren't wearing those around Southeast Alabama? Mm-mm. No, I, I can't. I can't say that I I did. There would have been consequences, most likely. <laughs> We are talking about Southeast Alabama here. We're going to just let people imagine the consequences Daniel would have suffered. Marinate in those comments for, for a couple minutes. But the boombox was the big one. You had to have a, you know, oh, yeah, the boombox carry on your shoulder. You really yeah. No, that, yeah. that was Those yeah. have been great yeah. conversations with, with some the of tapes. The, oh, yeah. You had, well, it's a double, it was yes. a dual. Dual because you could play one and record on the other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's back when you would record stuff off the radio. I think we're off the rails. You're totally in the ditch. So This is more fun to talk about than yeah. ryegrass. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ryegrass. I'm not even going to say anything because I've obviously done an extremely poor job of helping manage it in Mississippi. So one of y'all chime in 
I guess, describe the strategy that y'all use with your growers to manage ryegrass. I guess I'm looking at you, Daniel. The LSU Ag Center uses and endorses the Mississippi State <laughs> program <laughs> y'all, y'all as far problems. as fall residuals. Yeah. And then coming back in January with Clethodin, most likely. And then hopefully we don't get into the Paraquat world. However, our growers generally don't do that. They're typically you know, mixing Clethodin with a burn down and <clears throat> having a lot of failures. So we're most times not doing what we should be doing. So it's a mess. It's really exploding in Louisiana. We've always been a couple of years behind you guys. So we're at the party now. Tom? No, I, I agree. I mean, I every time you would send me some slides, that's what I would use in all our production talks, Jason. So I, the biggest thing for us is to con, we're trying to convince our guys to put the fall residuals out. Mm-hmm. I think that's been the challenge so far, is to convince them that that's what they have to do. They're still in the mindset that we'll, we'll get that stuff when it comes up. And We've done good with it over the years, and I always – mentioned Louisiana because I the concept of the fall residual I think Louisiana's probably been doing it longer than we have just in general for all weeds considered the ryegrass we've been doing it a while the a problem that we have and we've been lucky on the weather the last two years but it's just such weather related whether it's a wet fall and you can't get field work done and get that treatment out or it's like this fall, too dry, and you wait and wait and wait and wait, and this guy's done. I mean, he's, his crop's out, whole farm's worked up. The last thing he needs to do is put that fall treatment out, and he knows he shouldn't do it yet because his bed's not settled, but then it's the last thing we need to do before we park it. And so that's been a, a challenge too. Well, and I think we will see this year with the way the weather – did when it was just so dry for so long and then we got some rains. I think we'll see some fields in February that we'll be disappointed with. Because we were the same way. Everybody worked their ground, worked it to a powder, basically built it back. We really didn't even have enough moisture to build the beds up, you know, to pull yeah. beds. Uh, but then we everybody kind of got the same rain, and it was later in October, early November, and, I mean, immediately it just started. Well, and here we are at the short course again. And it's going to be 78 today mm-hmm. through most of the region. And I know that we've probably talked about that numerous times, but how's that going to impact what's emerging and growth rate and all the rest of that? Because I think we have additive information as we continue closer to Christmas that it looks like this December, as of right now, is stacking up like last December. It's lining up just like last year. It's warm. There's just enough moisture available, and it looks like the 10-day forecast is continued warm with not a lot of cooler temperatures at night. Well, and, and most of the time we might get maybe two, maybe three flushes. Last year, in some trials that we were monitoring, we got five, five different flushes of ryegrass because of the hot, cold fluctuations i guess let me throw this out to y'all because this is something that i've noticed over the last few years in mississippi thomas just popped in my head you know you you worked wheat in arkansas in school and then i guess i took over a lot of that stuff when when you came to start one and me and daniel were in fayetteville so me and daniel run up and down arkansas doing wheat work in that program we were in school so back then so this is you know 20 
or so years ago that spring flush was just a thing. That happened. All right, so then when I got to Mississippi, as a rule, I mean, there's always populations that are, are different, but as a rule, that spring flush wasn't that big of a deal here. And I don't know if it was because our burn-down treatments were more effective, didn't have as a big a ryegrass problem. There's probably a lot of things played into that. But in the past, say, five years, I have more and more conversations with guys latter part of February into March, and they're looking at little ryegrass. And so they're a spring flush. I don't know if we selected that or if it's been weather patterns or what it has been, but that time of the fall residual, I feel confident about because definitely the big flush is going to be when the weather gets right in the fall. But then I more and more in, in recent years, I lean more to, you know, man, we need a residual out there. Kind of that our traditional early burn down timing that carries us through that spring flush up towards planting. So I'd be curious to know what y'all see with a protracted, emergence window for it no i agree I, I think and i think it has a lot to do with weather right and the temperature right because the temperature fluctuation changes in the soil temp is one of the things that triggers a germination isn't it or am i crazy out I, left no, field I, no, I think that's right <laughs> on that so that's what i say anyway but that's how i explained the multiple flushes last year because uh you know i showed the temps yesterday we sprayed in october then again in november then again in december and most of those temps were above 65 degrees when we when we sprayed it. And I think the more we get these cool, then hot, then back cold, then hot, I think you're going to see possibly more more flushes. But we definitely get one in the spring. And, I, you know, it's probably going to vary from north to south Arkansas and over in Mississippi and, and Louisiana. But if we put enough out, in that November window, and by enough, I mean rate-wise, if we put a pint and a half of dual out versus a, I don't know, a pint especially, yeah, we're going to see it last a good bit longer. But it all it all depends on how quickly those temperatures warm up in the spring, you know, to how long that'll last. I think there's more difference from North Arkansas to South Arkansas than there is in Mississippi, particularly in the range north to south in the Delta, and then – Louisiana, there's definitely a difference from north to south, but I just compared with the Delta and Mississippi and then all of Arkansas, generally going to just be warmer, just being by nature being further south. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about the emergence of it? Oftentimes with the current weather we have now, it's coming up. I mean, it starts in October, September, October, <clears throat> and it's carrying on into March. So you can pretty much always find small ryegrass with these kind of weather. So it's, I think there's a peak in the valley, historically, kind of follows Henbit. You know, you get that big peak September, October, a little bit into November, and then it kind of bottoms out. But that was, when I did that work, that was kind of following the, when it got cool in December and it got cool in January. It kind of paused that. Then you'd see another hump, a flush, but be much, much smaller. And... What I'm seeing now from a ryegrass standpoint is it's just not stopping. So, but the complaints in the spring are, are what's coming up last month. Yeah. It's not what's coming right. up in January, February, March. They don't even see that because they're blinded by that big monster they're trying to kill out there in the field. 
Tom, I remember you saying this years ago with your graduate stuff on wheat that that first flush, you know, kill it. And back then it was kill it with Roundup or your last tillage, whatever. And then you're a lot further down the field right. with whatever treatment you're going to use in the wheat. I've said that a lot that, you know, I remember when we were in school, Tom Barber used to say da-da-da. But it's true. And I think, you know, and you think about horseweed, it was the same way. That fall flush of horseweed was the one that would just smoke you mm-hmm. come spring. The stuff that come up in the spring, it was generally pretty easy to kill, but it was that, right. that kind of hardened-off plant that had been sitting there all year. Thinking about killing the stuff that's up, we get to that January, February time, and that's going to trigger based on the weather. Some years we'll spray early in January, and if it's cold, wet, nasty, it might be latter part of January into February when we really get started going good. So the clethodem challenge, I think you've got a herbicide that's good, not great to start with, and if everything's perfect, I don't think you get 99% control, maybe 90 is a, a good number for clethodem under perfect conditions. And then we're spraying this thing in January and February when it's not perfect. I mean, it, it absolutely is not perfect more years than not. We're setting it up to fail. Well, and I think you hit a key on your talk yesterday, Jason, when you said, you know, I mean, you laid it out. I don't remember if it was label-specific recommendations or whatever, but, it, you know, size matters on that. Yeah, the ryegrass. It's two to six control. inches is yeah. what the lab, most of those clethodim labels say. Anytime you're spraying it ryegrass bigger than that with clethodim, I think it's a crapshoot. Yep. And the more you mix with it, it becomes more of a crapshoot. And the crazier the weather is. Right. It yeah. becomes a crapshoot. Yeah. And then a, a thing I have said, too, related to that, when we make burn-down recommendations, we're usually making a recommendation for the whole farm. So an uh, order gets turned in, and then the weather goes sideways and, and just say it's a 3,000-acre order, well, maybe only 1,000 or 2,000 of it gets sprayed, and then the weather's bad, weather's bad, weather's bad, and then it's three or four weeks later before the rest of it goes out, and the weather's completely different. That plant continued to grow, and it's the management has changed, but we're still working on that order that the weather just would not let us get out. It's just a a bad situation that we put a herbicide in to expect it to kill a weed that's it's hard to kill to start with. Right. And nobody really wants to make a separate application no. for ryegrass. No. And, you know, some of the failures we see or walk or get pictures of, they just throw it in with the rest of their burn-down mix. And, you know, I talked about our pigweed sample or pigweed, <laughs> ryegrass sampling yesterday. Pigweed is burning my mind so much that if I don't say it in any given conversation, <laughs> it's it, like, yeah, yeah it's, so – Y'all could remove that from my mind. That'd be great. But anyway, I need to be hypnotized or something. Forget about pigweed. A lot of the complaints we'd go on and we'd sample those populations. They think they have clethodim resistance. We'll screen it. We'll kill it in the greenhouse. But it's just, once we get past that, I don't know if it's the hardening off through the winter or once it gets big, but when we're trying to kill it in February, especially March, it's a failure. Maybe... If we're lucky, we can get it if we only mix Roundup with it or something like that. But if we throw, start throwing the auxins in there, 2,4-D, dicamba, we're going to miss it every time. You mentioned the spring emergence. Is them killing those that come up in the spring? Has anybody noticed that? Are we all focused on the big ones? I think you don't see it. I, I think it probably does, and you don't see it because your eye goes to those bigger plants, you know, that had come up in the fall. So that supports a poor application. 
you basically all three have indicated that this continues to be an important weed and we're obviously missing some things in some areas. How do we clean this thing up moving forward? Because from where I sit, I spend a lot of time driving up and down the road. And when I get into the spring, I send Jason a lot of pictures and we have a ton of conversations about it looks like the areas impacted with ryegrass are expanding. So how do we fix that moving forward? The three of us can sit up here and we can talk philosophy, weed science 101, what you should do. But it's a matter of whether it's actually done. We all know that fall residuals is the best way to tackle this weed. But nobody does it, or very few do it. So that's, it's, I hope these guys pay attention. You know, I wrote an article one time. I said, look, you're having a heck of a time with ryegrass. I'm going to remind you of this in the fall. I wrote the article. Hey, guess what? I'm reminding you of the problem that you had last spring. And it changed a few people, but not a lot. Now, is that my fault? Jason and Tom having better, you know, in their states? Yeah, probably so. But until these guys just recognize that they've got to do something in the fall, it's going to be tough. Well, I think that sometimes that's the struggle of where we sit with an extension and research component on all of our plates that sometimes the message goes out and the specific number of people that are going to capture that and act on that is, is a minimal number of folks. Mm -hmm. And that's your impact for the day. But this weed continues to become a bigger and bigger issue on an annual basis. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Weed control is a 365 issue. You've got to be thinking about something 365 days out of the year. Because if you miss the pigweed or you're not paying attention to the ryegrass and considering it on a field-by-field basis, you know, I think we're doing our job, we the collective. And I think continuing to talk about it is definitely important because there's obviously a lot of biology wrapped up in this that's probably still not answered. Well, I think that's true. I think, too, um, most growers just get through harvest, right, and they work around if they can. If it rains, they look like, look at a chance to take a break. And then there's other things that going on business-wise, selling the grain, moving the grain, moving the cow, whatever it is. How much uh, money's left to buy that much, treatment? Right. There's so much other stuff going on in the fall. It's hard to focus on ryegrass, and I get that. But I think, you know, as many calls as I had in Arkansas over the last two years, they're paying attention. It's just whether they're able to logistically get that that application made, I guess. the You know, but it's it's become such a serious issue for us. We're We're losing some yield to it. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind when we're planting into it, especially rice. Yeah. When we're planting rice into rice it in the and spring corn. and corn, yeah. There's no doubt that we're losing yield to it. So, Tom, I think my response to your question, I don't know that we get ahead of it on a landscape level. We definitely have guys that have gotten fields and farms out ahead of it. For example, the guys that you go back to when Dan Poston was kind of starting this ryegrass work that that we have continued. And the places where Poston did his work and then we did work, there's no ryegrass in those fields anymore. But that guy got real aggressive, or guys got real aggressive and, and took care of it. But when you expand that out to the landscape level and put time into it, you know, we get years like 2018 and 2019 where the weather 
does not allow us to do any fall herbicide work. We get years, like last year, for our post-treatment. We just had a bunch of failures, and it was probably because of the weather that occurred six or eight weeks before that treatment went out. So with it being a winter annual weed, and then it the treatments going out at the time that they do, I just don't know that we will ever get, in our part of the country, get consistent enough weather over a long, a, a long enough period of time to get out in front of the, the species as a problem in Mississippi or in the Delta, you know, Mid-South, that kind of scale. Oh, and that, the weather's a crapshoot year to year. I mean, this is like we've, we've already said two Decembers in a row where it's been pretty warm, and then who knows what January and February are going to bring. They, they tend to be cooler and sometimes wetter and but sometimes I mean, this, more overcast. This November was unusually cold. I mean, we right. had 10 or 12 days in a row where it was unusually cold for November. What's your thoughts on cereal, rye, triticale, oats? Pasture wheat competing with ryegrass. Uh, we've got a couple of tests out looking at that this year. The first planting was in October, and it was so dry it came up and died. <laughs> I've never seen cover crop die, but it did this year. It just came up and died. We couldn't water it. I looked at those plots, actually, before I came over here. Well, I looked at them last week. And there's... There's some competition things we can do if we can get out in front of it. The problem this year is just what I said. When when we got enough rain to do have a good cover crop, the ryegrass came up immediately together. too. So we didn't ever get out in front of it. My thought is if we can, you know, if we want to do the cover crop thing, we can fly it on late in beans, you know, or cotton, defoliate it, and uh, we'll get some up before the ryegrass comes up. If we get rainfall, any rainfall uh, this year, that didn't really work that way, but we have guys shifting out of cover crops because of ryegrass issues right now. And so I think, and, and cover crop by no means is a large percentage of our acres anyway, but the guys that have been trying, a lot of them are wanting to shift out of it because of the ryegrass coming up in it. We've sprayed the group 15s, the duals, warrant ziduas, and my experience with those, as long as that cereal rye, for example, is too leaf, it can survive it. It's yeah. going to stun it. A couple it, of weeks after emergence. Yeah. yeah it's gonna, it can survive it, and that would be the best way to go. But you still, if your window's not right and you miss that first germination you're gonna, of ryegrass, yeah. you're going to miss some of it, I mean, with that residual. But if we've got a continuous emergence pattern. Yeah. I mean, it'll help some, yeah. I think, but but uh, that's the only way to, in some areas, I think, if we're going to go the cover crop route. Now, if it's a broadleaf cover crop, obviously, you know, we can, I can put it out a little earlier, but, or spray some select on it or whatever. But I don't know that you get that suppression, that broadleaf on grass competition right. doesn't tend to be as extreme as the grass on grass. Grass on grass, I mean, you right. take the ryegrass and corn. Right. Ryegrass is no. a lot tougher on corn than, than some of those broadleaf weeds are. Yeah, you know, one of the pushbacks on the fall residual is that erosion. And one of the things that you could use is a cover crop. And I'm not talking 100 pounds of cereal rye, you know. So, I mean, I'm just thinking philosophically some things that you could do. I mean, it's tough. I mean, that's money. How much does cereal rye cost? 
I don't think it's real cheap, is it? It's not. I could probably have told you if you hadn't asked. Yeah. <laughs> Later, I, I, I can't remember idea. what it is a bag. I buy you know? a bunch of it. And we usually put it out at approximately a bag or 50, 60 pounds of the acre. Then we've had guys who spread pasture wheat, and then we can't kill it with glyphosate. <laughs> you get yeah. into well, the, thing, the thing with the wheat, yeah, I mean, wheat, I get asked all the time on cover crops, is wheat a good one? Well, it's a good one. I just worry about killing it Yeah, you know, when it's time to kill it. Yeah. <laughs> the cereal rod just melts with Roundup. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a challenge uh, moving forward, but I agree on the road. That's the biggest thing. For growers not wanting to, you know, go the full residual, that's mm-hmm. another big key component of it, I think, is they don't want to have to go back and rebuild the beds. Again. That's that's the primary pushback that I get in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Well, it's real. And me, over the years, talking about these fall residuals, I definitely did a poor job of acknowledging that. So, I mean, it's not for – it doesn't need to be on every acre, uh, but it needs to be on your ryegrass acre. And with ryegrass – different than pigweed just in simply in the volume of seed that it makes you can beat it down and get ahead of it now i don't know how long that takes it takes different lengths of time for different people and then the the weather phenomenon plays into that like we we talked about but you can definitely get ahead of it i mean it's only making sixty thousand or so seed compared with a pigweed that is in the hundreds of thousands huge range but you can get ahead of it but on sandy ground yeah, you better have a ryegrass problem if you're doing your field work in the fall. If you're going to go back through there in the spring, just almost guaranteed because it's it, those beds are just going to be gone. I mean, that's what happens to me on our fields at Stoneville. They're just so sandy that if we get them hipped up in the fall, we don't have a bed by springtime. Yeah, having a cotton stalk out there is if you can keep them out there. That's it. Kind of holds the bed a little better, I think, than a lot of others, but it. If you rebuild them in the fall and then you spray it, I mean, you just might as well get ready. Yeah, you're committed. You go, you're committed to rebuild them again in the in the spring. You know, and that may be another way to spin it. You know, try to encourage them not to work there unless there's ruts or something. They're going to have to work them out, but but uh, just not work a lot of that residue in and put your fall residuals out prior to working the ground, knowing you're going to have to come back in the spring and rebuild the beds anyway. Daniel, Tom, thank you. Fantastic to get you in Podcast Studio B. Fantastic to have you all support the Row Crop Shore Course, as usual. It's nice to see everybody over here. It's good to be back. It's good to have everybody here. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day before you bolt out of town. Well, I appreciate the invite. I enjoy coming over here and seeing folks and catching up. that uh, Folks I hadn't seen in a while. So I appreciate the invite to come over. Oh, absolutely. This, this short course... I mean, there's so many people in Louisiana here. It's nice. I mean, things that they'll learn here, I'll have guys reference next next growing season to me. Well, I heard this at, over in Starkville. So it's nice to be here. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate y'all coming. Be careful going home. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension. Mississippi.